You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me is a very happy Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, have you ever missed out on anything by a bee's dick? Oh, probably. I, I, I think so. Uh, where are we going with this? The, the, goal, the goal on the line from the Bont, I think you might be talking about. Oh, I am. And then the post-game, the quote from Marcus Bontempelli said, I just managed to give it enough. It was probably a bee's dick in it, I reckon, on the line. So pretty close. And that is... Is there a more Australian post-game quote uh, than that? But I'm pretty happy. I don't care if it's a bee's dick. I don't care if it's a horse's dick. As long as it got through and the Bulldogs got the points, I'm happy. Well, they deserve this win, but it did look for an extended period of time that maybe it was going to slip through their grasp. Goal kicking, Josh. We've spoken about this a lot. We've spoken about a variety of teams that have struggled, perhaps none more so than Brisbane. But the Donkeys really did not want to win this game. They were trying their hardest to throw this one away. Yeah, like four goals, 10 after the first three quarters. Yeah, they did manage two, three in the last. But that is some wasteful opportunities. And you just kept waiting. And it's something I talk about all the time is that when you just have that much of the ball and you're dominating, and you're dominating inside 50s and clearances and possessions and shots at goal, and then you can't convert, you're just waiting for that ball to go down the other end and then to get a quick one, to get a cheap one. And it almost happened to this one with Jack Darling getting some what some may call a soft free kick in the in the last minute and he went oh of course darling soft free kick goal that they uh that have you know they've been completely out uh, played in terms of time of possession in forward half and all that sort of thing and then he dutifully missed and i was uh feeling pretty relieved when that went down so obviously a huge result for the bulldogs prior to the game even starting with nick nat Nui withdrawing from this one and you know, we spoke about the, the struggles that the dogs have had in the ruck and particularly around the clearances, and that was an area that I thought really hurt them the week earlier against the Cats. So so no Nick Nat. It did look like it took the dogs a little bit to get organized here, to get settled. Clearly, they would have spent hours and hours and hours thinking about how they were going to counter Nick Nat. They actually finished the game winning the clearances. They're plus, so they're plus four in the clearances and plus five at the stoppage clearances. So around the ground again, this is where they got crushed last week. West Coast obviously missing a few prime movers with Nick Nat. I I just mentioned Elliot Yo, uh, Luke Shuey as well. It was all set up for the dogs, but they got off to this slow start. What'd you see? Because there's no doubt about it. It was a concern and it was a complete flip of what we saw in that game against the Cats where the Dogs had all the running in the first quarter. Yeah, it was. It, was, uh, it wasn't It was a great start to things. I think they were you know, three or four goals down early in that f- first quarter. But after that, it was basically all Bulldogs. And the mm-hmm. uh, West Coast kicked, what, like one goal one in, in, in that two-quarter period between the, the second and third quarter. And they really shut them down and, and got on top. And that's what happens with this Bulldogs midfield is that once they get on top and they get a, a run on it, it is pretty hard to slow them down. Josh Dunkley was massive in this game. Yeah, McRae, Toby McLean, 20 possessions of his own. But really, you know, when they well, he played on Andrew Gaff and just dominated him really throughout the game. And that's not the sort of uh, yeah, performance you're normally expecting out, out of Toby McLean. But that Bulldogs midfield put the foot down. And I, I think, you know, 
they did make a bit of a change to their ruck scenario where English took nearly all uh, all of the, the center bounce and, and ruck contests around the ground where previously, and I think I mentioned how I thought maybe they were protecting his ankle injury, but we didn't see much of Dunkley in the ruck or McRae in the ruck or a little bit of Josh Bruce, but not much there. And English, I thought, was uh, really, really important in this game and in getting that ball or creating at least a you know, 50-50 contest because then once it hit the ground, the midfield really, really took over and West Coast didn't really have an answer for it after quarter time. No, they didn't at all, and it's it's a little bit concerning for the Eagles. We know that they've had their struggles outside of Perth uh, so far this season. Now, clearly, they had a, a few guys out. I, the thing I loved about the way the Bulldogs played, I spoke about this on last week's podcast, thinking back to the GWS game where in the fourth quarter where McGovern had those five intercept marks, eight intercept marks for the game, and, and I spoke about the fact that if you telegraph where you're kicking the ball against the Eagles, they are going to destroy you. And it's not just McGovern. They've got a bunch of guys back down there that love taking the intercept marks. So what I liked about the Dogs is uh, ground balls. And we know that this is where they're at their best. And then we know that they're basically led by Mitch Wallace as a forward. He's someone that's really creative, with the, whether the ball's on the ground. But you've got to hit up players. You've got to hit up players on the lead. You can't just be bombing the ball inside 50 and putting the ball in the air. And I thought they did... A reasonable job of that and that's how they were able to maintain control and keep the ball inside their forward half the top eight disposal winners on the ground were all bulldogs and they all had plus 20 disposals the leader for the eagles was jack redden but uh, that goes to show you how dominant they were particularly after the first quarter the question i wanted to throw at you as a doggies man is aaron norton i you know a quiet day going by disposals but he, he popped up with a couple of pivotal in a couple of pivotal moments, but wasn't able to kick. Uh, where's the level of concern regarding his his kicking, just as a, as a Bulldogs man? Because, uh, again, he's a guy that, if the Bulldogs are going to make the finals, in a final, if he's going to pop up, he's going to take those contested marks, which are at an absolute premium in finals footy. You just cannot afford to waste those chances. And we've seen time and time again, forwards that uh, struggle with the goal kicking uh, end up costing their teams big time in big games. Yeah, look, his kicking style is rough. Like when you look at it, you get you don't have confidence in in the way the ball drops. But he's had some games where he has been relatively accurate, and I think most times you you feel I guess some level of confidence in Norton's kicking. It obviously didn't uh, it didn't happen tonight. But watching him kick, it's like watching Josh Dunkley kick. Like the ball just does not drop well at all, and you think, oh, this isn't going in. But the the results have generally been. Yeah, okay. In terms of his goal kicking, it again, it didn't really, it didn't happen that way last night after he took that massive contested mark uh, down in, in the fourth quarter. But he has been yeah, generally uh, okay, and even even this year, like he's uh, according to Stats Insider, expected versus actual, he's only he's a three percent under uh, actual. So it's not perfect. He's not great, but he's also not completely butchering things in terms of his of his shots for goal. The other thing he needs to do as well is he needs to, and I think he does this most of the time, is he takes grabs close to goal. Like he takes these big marks, you know, 30 meters out. He's not necessarily doing it from 50 because that's where he can struggle, but he does He does tend to do this you know, uh, much deeper, and that helps in terms of getting that accuracy right. But it, it's obviously far from perfect, and there is always worry when he gets the, the ball in his hands. You don't think, well, he's going to just bang this in from 50 because I, I have zero confidence that that's really ever going to happen from, uh, from Norto, but yeah, his ability to take those grabs close to goal is probably where his strength lies. So I was going to get to this later in the episode, but we may as well just jump to it right now. Looking at the ladder, and that game, certainly because it came at the end of the week, it's, it paints a clearer picture of where we're at and what we're looking at here. But 
this game and the implications of this game, not just for the Bulldogs, who now sit just percentage outside of the eight, certainly going to have to not only win games, but rely on some results to go their way uh, to get into the eight. But West Coast, this is a catastrophic loss for them. And we spoke about the fact that they nearly pulled it off. Yes, they had a couple of players that are clearly in their best, probably in their best 10, maybe their best five that didn't play in this game. But this loss for the Eagles now, despite the eight wins in a row, I think it was they had when they were yep. in Perth and towards the back end of the first hub, this quite lo- quite likely has cost them a spot in the top four. They now, with their percentage as well, they're going to have to rely on results. They can win both games and they could quite easily still miss out on the eight. And uh, that's a disaster for them because we, we spoke about the importance of top four. We know that they're not going to get a chance to play at home and they've been a bad away. So this one of the most dangerous teams in the league uh, might not get in the top four, and I think the other teams above them would be very, very happy with this result. Yeah, exactly. And it's I think so much of it's going to come down to the Richmond-Geelong game coming up. If uh, Richmond gets that one, it's going to be real hard for West Coast to to make it yeah. in. Um, that's all. That's almost going to completely just leave them in that fifth spot. But yeah, if Geelong does get their win, then there is that chance that West Coast can win the next two. And push up into fourth spot, but it is, uh, and we, you've talked so much about how important that uh, top four spot is. I reckon this is going to cost them, and they've got no one else to. You, know, you can blame, yeah, umpires and say, well, that wasn't a goal; it was touched on the line. But they should have lost by a lot more the, than they did in this one. And I think they had probably the rub of the green in terms of umpiring throughout the game, anyway. But they had only themselves to blame. Yes, injuries aren't um, aren't ideal, but they uh, they still were completely outplayed, and they've had some struggles since going back up to um up to Queensland. Speaking of teams in the top four, there's some news through the weekend and perhaps none bigger than Harris Andrews with a six-week hamstring. Now, Brisbane beat Collingwood. I wouldn't say it was the most convincing win of all time, but they got the four points. Harris Andrews, All-Australian, expect maybe All-Australian again this year. For the Lions that are just hanging in there, a huge game against Gold Coast this week. Uh, Almost forget the next few weeks, though, and project forward into the finals. This is a team that went out in straight sets last year. You look at the other teams in the top four who they're probably going to match up with in the first week, and then potentially the second week, there's there's a bunch of teams with some dangerous tall forwards as well. But Port Adelaide with Charlie Dixon, Geelong with Tom Hawkins, Richmond with Tom Lynch. How big of a blow is this for the Lions? And do you do you, would you go as far as to put a line through them in the finals without Harris Andrews? They're talking maybe he could get back for a prelim, possibly for a prelim. Uh, this is a disaster. This is probably the last guy they could afford to lose. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate. Um, now, there's talk of guys like you know, Ryan Lester having to step up, and I heard Luke Hodge mention a guy by the name of Jack Payne who could step into that role, mm-hmm. but you're not going to rely upon Payne to be doing what Harris Andrews does, and it does make it really, really tough for them. You know, Hawkins, Dixon, uh, Rewalt, Lynch, those sort of forwards in talking about this, the top four, Kennedy. Yeah, if you're coming up against those guys in, in a prelim without Harris Andrews, I'm not really sure how they're going to get that done. Look, they're sitting pretty pretty well at the moment. Brisbane, they've got a game against Gold Coast coming up on Wednesday. They're the only other team in that top six uh, that hasn't played the 15, so they can push themselves back up into the, the second spot with a game that they should win here against Gold Coast. But that's not really what it's about at the moment. It's about yeah, how is that going to look in the finals? And I, I think it's a, I think it's a massive problem for them if Harris Andrews is going to be out that long because we've talked about how he's been the best key defender all season, and I don't think many people would argue with that. And losing that player when your entire defensive structure is built around that makes it hard to sort of adjust on the fly. You don't have a like for like replacement to come in and do that. You're going to have to be scrambling and perhaps. 
because you can't have that reliance on the replacement to do what Andrews does. The whole structure and theory of your defense perhaps has to change. They're going to get to play at home. They're going to get to play in front of fans, most likely, depending on the matchups. But if you look at even their form the last couple of weeks, and a lot of this has been because of goal kicking. We spoke about that. So potentially they should have won these games by more. But they beat North Melbourne by one point, St Kilda by two points, Collingwood by eight points on Friday night. It does feel like now with the addition of the Andrews injury, it, it just feels like the Lions are in absolute survival mode right now. And it's a shame because they've been one of the best-performed teams all year. There's no doubt about that. As far as the other teams, I, did you see the the Butters bump on Simpkin? Yes. It looks like he's going to get two weeks. I'm not sure about you. When I watched this one, I, I did think that he was a little bit unlucky. Like, there was no – for mine – Yes, I understand why he gets two weeks. Clearly, he got him high. Simpkin was clearly pretty rattled from from the bump. So I understand why he got two weeks. But I don't think he shaped up to bump. I, I think he got himself in an, in an awkward position and uh, sort of wasn't in a position to tackle, was bracing for body contact. Simpkin moved a little bit. And I just think it was more unfortunate rather than uh, a crude attempt to bump. Um, I don't know if I agree with that because you're watching it in, in full speed, motion you go oh what happened there because it wasn't like a full collision where the guys hit each other and stop like yeah Simkin sort of kept running past as did Butters sort of like clipped him but what was he attempting to do there like his arms went out for a tackle he wasn't trying to get low and grab him around the race or waist or hit him around the waist he just sort of instinctively just raised that um it wasn't even I don't even think it was the same sort of timing as the Crips main incident obviously that's different because you know Crips had uh, had the ball in that scenario, but it wasn't like, oh, he's got, he can't react. Like, I think he did react, but he reacted by putting his arm up. He didn't instinctively go for that tackle. And I think that's the decision there. Of course, we know they're always going to include injury and severity of injury in the decision. But I, I thought it, in fast motion, you go, oh, what happened there? Like, you, you didn't really know. Then when you watch it, you go, oh, well, what, what else was he actually trying to do in that scenario? Well, I think he was trying to protect himself. So clearly the thing that he should have done is just gone for the tackle either way, and then he would have avoided this. So there's no doubt it's a mistake on his behalf. But to me, when I looked at his arm positioning, his arms were almost, it was like they were almost crossed on his body, like he was bracing himself for contact, like he thought he was going to get ran into or, or bumped. And and like I said, it's bad, really bad technique, and, and obviously it's going to cost him a couple of weeks. But I, I don't think that as the play was evolving. As you said, I mean, it was super quick. I mean, all this happened so fast. You slow it down, and obviously you can make someone look pretty bad. But, yeah, I just thought it was bad technique rather than him tr- going out to, to bump or to hurt someone. But uh, either way, the results, uh, you know, speaks for itself, and he will have a couple of weeks off. The other one, I don't even know how much we need to talk about this, but Richmond, uh, I've said it before, that they've had the absolute worst season off field that anyone could have possibly have whether it's just saying dumb shit to the media and and just out and out looking like clowns to doing stuff like they did on the weekend a couple of richmond players that got done uh, and you know again i mean everyone's t- spoken about it over the weekend it's kind of old news now but i, I just they're afl players I, I don't understand how you could even possibly believe or even possibly think to go out in, in public like that. And, and yeah, the guy's an absolute dickhead that, that started the fight. Like, that guy's just an absolute moron, and it's pathetic, and, you know, whatever. That guy, that guy, yeah, whatever. Charge him. Do whatever you need to do with him. But these Richmond players, to even think that they could just get out in the piss in public, uh, it's it's it doesn't get much dumber than that. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. But you talk about Richmond having a, the worst season. It's been a, it's been a bad season off-field for... 
Uh, a few of the big clubs, Collingwood's had uh, had some of their issues this season. They've had uh, they've been battling Richmond, and I think Hawthorne's are a little bit of a, especially with the comments from Clarkson, like just constantly saying dumb shit all season. It's uh, the big three, uh, three of the big Melbourne clubs having some. Uh, actually, if you want to throw Essendon in there after what happened for them on the weekend, it hasn't been a hasn't been a great um, non footy. <laughs> type scenario for those uh, big teams because that's another thing we got in the notes here is uh, Essendon players laughing laughing it up at halftime after getting absolutely pummeled by Geelong. Yeah, down by 10 goals at halftime and there's honestly not too much to talk about this game. Uh, we might touch a bit more on the Cats uh, later in the week as they get ready for this Richmond game, but this was an embarrassing game and it was embarrassing from the start. And at halftime, I, I saw this this morning actually, I didn't catch it during the game, obviously I was watching it. And uh, the Bombers players are just in the huddle, just laughing it up, carrying on, having a good time. They're down by 10 goals at halftime. Finals were on the line coming into this game. What do you think about that? Do people blow it up when they talk about that? Because I think, you know, in general, I'm someone that if I see players after a loss sort of, you know, laughing or or catching up with with someone in the opposition or during the game, perhaps talking to each other, like I literally don't care. Like I I do not care about that. Like that does not bother me in the slightest. I don't think you can read anything into it. Everyone's different. But for the whole group to be (laughs) laughing and looking like they're having a great time, I don't think it was a good look. The after game stuff, yeah, I'm with you. Like I don't know. Yeah, how many instances you've been in in terms of your sporting career? But I don't know when I would play, and because if you play at a high enough level sport, like you play representative games, you know, state games, whatever it is, so you know these, so many of these other guys, and you don't get opportunities to speak to them. So after the game, you you go full on, you try to kick the shit out of them, and you beat them, and then afterwards, yeah, hey, how you going, mate? And you have a chat and you talk, and I don't have any problem with that. That's just normal behavior because these people aren't robots, and they're not like footy, footy must win footy, like continually, twenty four seven. Like that's just not how anyone. Anyone works. The halftime one is a little weird to see everybody. Now I don't, I don't know what happened. Maybe, maybe someone in the middle of that huddle just dropped a massive fart, and they all just needed to to loosen themselves up. And went, you know what? That's that, that's a good one. Let's get back out there. But it doesn't look good. But I'm not here to judge them because I don't know what the hell happened. I don't know what they said. I don't know what happened in that scenario. I don't know if it was someone saying, "Hey guys, we are super tense. We're not playing right. Let's loosen up. Get out there. Who's got a joke? All right, let's go. Now we're back into it. You know, get ourselves loose. I can't judge that. It looks bad. But you're also looking at this little bit here. We don't know what was said. We don't know what what led to it. And I think that it's. Uh it's just one of those ones where people getting on their soapbox, um, you must be sad because the supporters are sad. And I don't think that's, it's definitely not as simple as that. No, I'm with you there. Yeah, I think you have to be careful when you go, you tee off on them uh, too much. But again, there's no doubt it is a bad look. But you mentioned Clarko. <laughs> What's he doing? I, I, I'm, I'm kind of loving Clarko. I got to tell you, I'm a Cats fan. I hate Hawthorne. I'm very vocal about that. But I gotta tell you, Clarko just ripping on everyone every single post game press conference. I'm kind of into it. I'm kind of enjoying this version of Clarko. I reckon he's kind of losing the plot a little bit. But when you get beaten by a team that is most likely going to play finals, and not only that, your team sucks. They just lost a week ago to a team that hadn't won a game all season. Like, let's be honest, Hawthorne suck this year. They're an awful team. And Clarko comes out and says, oh, good on you, St. Kula. That game plan worked against us, but uh, I'm not sure if it's going to work in finals. Clarko, shut up about finals, mate. You're not even in there. And your team isn't even close to it. And they lost to Adelaide last week. He's just potting everyone, really, at this point. But what, one thing I am waiting for, because the Bulldogs haven't played Hawthorne yet, and there's been one coach, and maybe two coaches, if you can, John Longmire, who has been pretty verbal uh, or vocal about uh, calling Clarko back out, and that's Luke Beveridge. So I'm really, really interested to see what... Uh, and uh, Beveridge coached under Clarkson as well. 
So I'm interested to see if uh, if Clarko has anything to say about Beveridge when the Bulldogs take on Hawthorne this coming this coming week because uh, Beveridge has not shied away from uh, basically uh, complaining about what Clarkson's been saying in the AFL, kowtowing to his comments. The one thing I will say, and I've always sort of said this, I, I don't really, I, I'm not a fan of, I don't, I don't care about the, the coaches sort of, uh, we all need to stick together, we can't pot each other, like stuff that, like I don't, I don't care. Like if Clarko wants to go out there and say stuff, then you know, you can laugh at it. And like I said, I mean, it's it's ridiculous to hear him say that. I was just laughing my head off at home when I was watching the press conference. But at the same time, I love it. Like, you don't have to be the best friends with them and, and publicly say everything nice about them. So I have no doubt that Brett Ratton's inside, he sort of shrugged it off. I think inside, he would have definitely been pretty pissed off about it. But I'm all for it. Come on, let's let's get into it. Get stuck into each other a little bit. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried about that at all. But... One thing we do have to look at, and one thing I think that do, does need some worry, is uh, Collingwood and their, their struggles again. Kane, now I've yeah you know, after the Bulldogs West Coast game, you know just browsing social media, you see a lot of Collingwood fans with split ideas about this. Oh, that, that's that's great for us. Um, that the Bulldogs won, and I was going, no, it's not because now we're we're in the battle with them more for the end of bottom of the final. So where is Collingwood actually sitting here? Because you talked about Brisbane not looking great in that win over Collingwood, but they still got the win over Collingwood. Where where are the Magpies going here? Like, and what did you see anything in that Brisbane Collingwood game that would give you hope as a Magpie supporter that you're more in the five to six range versus the seven to ten range? Nope, because uh, again, they still can't kick a score, and you know the the way that they play footy is to try and beat you by kicking fifty points, and I'm just not sure against the top teams in the eight right now, in the top four teams, and throw West Coast in there as well. Maybe Collingwood might win a first final against St. Kilda or, you know, the Bulldogs or whoever it is, Melbourne, whoever it is in that bottom eight. Maybe they'll be, win that final. But I, I don't know how they expect to win a final against the top teams with uh, their inability to kick goals. And I saw some talk after the game that, well, I'm not worried about them. They're just winning games, so they'll be fine once they get to Goey back, Trelaw. And there's no doubt they are missing some absolute top liners, but I'm not sure how it helps them kick a score outside of maybe Goey just with some individual brilliance. I mean, we saw that carried them to a win against Geelong, where I think he kicked five goals, and the, overall the team only scored 57 points. But I don't think you can go into a final saying, well, that's, that's how we're going to win a game. Mason Cox kicked two on the weekend. I thought he was okay, but... Just the guys you're looking at, Hoskin Elliott, Jaden Stevenson, Majacek, they're just not putting the fear into anyone at the moment. And they're not dangerous. They're sort of getting in the way of each other. The delivery inside 50 is not good enough. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm struggling to have any faith in this team. I know they continue to win. And this was certainly um, you know, a, a tough game for them against a the top four team and they fall short. But five goals, four, it's not good enough. And the problem is it's, it's not a one-off for them. I mean, this, this has happened all year long. Yeah, it's been a consistent, and it's it. Sometimes you'll have these games where scoring can be tough because of weather or matchups or all that sort of thing. But it's been a consistent thing for Collingwood all season. Out of the teams in the let's have a look, top eleven teams. So they're the teams that we consider the, the contenders. They have scored the fewest points out of all of those teams, um, and that's yeah, not not a surprise to to anybody really. And even if you don't include Essendon in that group because they're probably out of it now, they're they're a, they're a fair way back in terms of um, the lowest scoring group. They've scored 852 points. The next is uh, GWS at 856, and that's only four points difference. 
but the Giants have got a game in hand. So they could you know, drop another 60, 70, 80 points on top of that. And that puts a, a big gap there. And then the next team that's the closest is Melbourne. And they've also got a game in hand, and they're 30 points uh, clear of Collingwood. So they are yeah, significantly down in terms of you know, offensive scoring capacity. Now, their defense is, is obviously really good, and that's how they're looking to win games. But it is a struggle. And we've talked about it all year, and then you have the occasional guy step up. And I still didn't really understand that the dropping of Darcy Cameron uh, for Collingwood in that game. And uh, do you think they're in danger of dropping out here? No, I don't. I think they'll get in there because I do think, you know, against the majority of teams there, or certainly the teams that are, are on the lower end, I, I do think that their defense helps them win games. So they, you look ahead to this game against the Gold Coast, you know, I think their back line is going to be strong enough that the Gold Coast won't be able to kick a score against them. But uh, again, it's just against those top teams. And, and, and a big problem again was Brody Grundy. I mean, we spoke about this guy that he's just not having the impact that he's had in the past and what they not only expect from him, but they need from him. In this game, he only had 11 disposals, minus 17 meters gained. He's just doing nothing with the footy. Absolutely nothing. And the Pies were actually level in the clearances, both at the center clearances and the stoppages. It was it was dead even. So it's not like they got beaten out there. He's still a, a valuable player in the in the ruck contest, but he's always been a guy that gets the footy around the ground and is damaging. And, you know, for him to uh, minus 17 meters gained and only 11 touches, I mean, he's just still well below where he would normally be at. And he's the type of guy that has lifted this team in the past to a premiership contender. Yeah, and just yeah, it's weird. There's something going on there. I don't know if teams have figured out how to neutralize him or if he's playing hurt. I think it's probably the latter. And also question their selection. Like, well, I don't know why they put Max Lynch into this team. Yeah. Uh, he had two hitouts. Searching. Two, two, two hitouts, two disposals. Like, I, I don't know what the the point of that um, inclusion was. It was it was a weird one at the time. It ended up not looking great uh, in terms of where the, where they sit. But they they probably make the finals. But how they move forward from there, um, and whether they can win a game in that sort of higher pressure environment where you'd still need to get some scores, I really have some doubts about it. Well, I think they're searching for something. That's why they played Max Lynch. They dropped Darcy Cameron because they're struggling up forward. And maybe Brody Grundy is injured, as you sort of pointed to. I know that wouldn't shock me at all. So maybe he was a bit of a backup rock option as well. But you got. Mason Cox in there. So I, I don't know why they needed him, but that's probably the biggest concern for this team. It, I, I know some people think that they're treading water until they get these players back, but to me it feels like they're, they're just searching for something that works rather than treading water, and I, I'm not sure that they have the answer coming in. But as I said, a bunch of top liners out of the team. Maybe when they get them back on paper, they've got enough talent to contend with some of these top teams, but they wouldn't be filling Pies fans with any any real faith, I wouldn't have thought. No, I'd say that's pretty accurate. Now, we do have a game on tonight, Kane, and it is Melbourne and Fremantle. We know Melbourne absolutely shit the bed last time out. They are up in Cairns again here uh, against the Dockers, who have been playing some relatively good footy. And Melbourne, absolutely, especially after the Bulldogs win yesterday, Melbourne needs this win. If they lose this one, uh, don't imagine their fans will react all that well. This is uh, this is huge in terms of shaping the, the top eight. Um, and uh, I'll be watching pretty intently. Yeah, up in Cairns, uh, Melbourne, very familiar with uh, that place. After the other day, they lost, obviously, to the Swans. They're really disappointing. Frio's been really dangerous, as you said. So, again, if you're asking me if I have any faith at all in the Demons winning this game, I don't. Uh, And, you know, it's going to be a question mark of winning the ball out of the middle 
and getting a score on the board. Again, they had plenty of the footy, plenty of inside 50 opportunities in that game against Sydney, and they weren't able to score. Just looking at the selection, I mean, I know they're coming off a short break, but Simon Goodwin clearly pretty disappointed with what went down the other day. Charlie Spargo dropped, Josh Wagner dropped, Mitch Brown dropped as well. Oscar McDonald also dropped, and then Nathan Jones, James Harms, and Harms and Angus Brayshaw, a big loss there with injuries. They lose a couple of midfielders, and they bring in uh, Aaron Vandenberg, Jaden Hunt, uh, Pickett, Hibbard, Oscar Baker, Toby Bedford, and Braden Proust comes in as well. So they're rolling with the, the double ruck there. But uh, that's a hell of a lot of changes. But again, uh, no faith in the Demons at all. I, I think Fremantle can win this game. They've been in great form for, for a long time now. And they're always competitive. And we know that they have one of the stingiest backlines in the competition based on the way that they play. So I think they're going to try and shut this down. I think they're going to stay in the game for as long as they possibly can. And then it's up to the Demons to, uh, to play under pressure. Because if they win, they're in the eight. If they lose, it's going to be pretty tough. Well, let's hope that Fremantle can get the job done uh, and, uh, and get, this vi- <laughs> get this victory over Melbourne so the Bulldogs remain in a better shot for getting into the finals. But we'll be back to talk about that game tomorrow. Kane, thank you again for another great episode of Locked On AFL. That's uh, a good start to the week. Guys, subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. Go and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts as well. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Dean Rice.